to give of their resources, of their money, to give of their possessions, their homes, their cars. Many a car has been destroyed by various uh, occasions of ferrying people about the place and all the rest of it. And to be thankful for those who open themselves up emotionally to get involved with needy people. To thank those people who are willing on occasion, on occasion, to worry and to care and to have concern and anxiety above and beyond the rest of the saints in fellowship. As they are faced with decisions, problems, people, issues, concerns of the local church. Most of which ought to and does remain private. He says you ought to know them. You ought to value that type of thing. Now don't get me wrong, we've already come to this. Elders are frail, elders are fleshly, elders are sinful, elders are no different from any, anyone else in that, and are fallible, and all the rest of it. Of course they are, that's not the point. You're, you're not, it's not been said that we're looking at perfection or anything like that at all. But there should be an understanding amongst the saints of the importance of that function, that work, that role, and the respect to those who are seeking to fulfil it. He then says this, not just to know them, but to esteem them. That means to hold in high regard, to consider, and notice it says this, to esteem them very highly in love, in love, for their work's sake. Again, this is not personality. This is not because someone is a tremendously charismatic individual. This is because there's an understanding that that individual is involved in a work and that is a holy work, that's a high work, that's an important work, that's an onerous work and as such that person ought to be respected and that person also ought to be esteemed for the work's sake. For example, regarding Epaphroditus, Paul says this when he instructs the Philippian believers to receive him in the Lord with all joy and to hold men like him in high regard. You see, sometimes we have a resistance to that. We have a fear of respecting people, lest they get lifted up with pride or lest they get elevated and so on. And that can happen, but it does not mitigate against the command for us to respect and esteem. I've mentioned the elders here, you know, and, and some of you know some of the elders who are elders in Bridge of Weir and the elders up in this city uh, for a time and so on. And there are men that I look back on, particularly in my younger years, that I deeply respect and respected. And not just because of the men that they were, but because of what they did and what we saw them do. And then it says this, and be at peace among yourselves. Now there is a, there's a, there's a word, peace, that speaks of something that is so valuable, so important in a local church. Peace. 
So often it is something that we don't experience and we, we miss and it's so hard won and it's so hard to maintain the unity that the Spirit has created in the bond of peace and the flesh destroys it and the, the world comes in and destroys it and Satan would love to destroy it and it takes a lot, it's like the duck paddling along and it looks completely serene in the surface and it's wee flippers or whatever it is uh, thrashing away under the surface frantically. You see, peace is something that takes a lot of work to maintain just because of us. Because we're all different and we're all like sandpaper and we're all, we've got times where we're all deeply unpleasant to each other. You know, that's the truth. And careless and thoughtless and unloving. And it destroys peace amongst God's people. He says, be at peace. Respect those who are in authority. Esteem them. Value the work. Don't think that work is, is somehow a, a, a small thing or something to be uh, disrespected. This is, a, this is a big work that needs done amongst God's people. And so he says, know them. He says, esteem them. And he says, be at peace. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us. So, two little expressions here. Obey them and submit yourselves to them. Now, I understand this, I know this, that there is something within us that resists that that idea of submission, that idea of obedience, and perhaps in the world it has a very negative connotation. But to obey means this, to be persuaded or to listen to. And it speaks of an obedience that results from a confidence. It's not speaking of some weird cult-like um, adherence to or allegiance to a man simply because of his name or his title or the role that he occupies. Far from it. It is an obedience that stems from confidence in this man's character and in this man's leadership. And so you are therefore willing to obey. You're willing to submit. One writer said this, anarchy is evil and a cause to ruin. But no less an evil also is the disobedience to rule. For it comes to the same thing. For a people not obeying a ruler is like one which has none, and perhaps even worse. <coughs> so we've defined the idea of rule, so it's not a despotic rule like a monarch or like a, an emperor or something like that. But leaders are accountable to God for how they lead the flock of God. And mark this. To the extent that they love God and lead an exemplary life, they should be obeyed. Now that's a very important qualification. 
You see, the Bible teaches about the character of elders. The Bible teaches about the leadership of elders. We've been speaking about that. But we would understand this also from the Bible, that sometimes elders go down a bad path. Elders go off in terms of character. Elders go off in terms of decision-making, make bad decisions, make wrong decisions, make unbiblical decisions become unbiblical in their character. And we were talking about this, and I think that's what Paul is warning the Ephesian elders. And he's saying to the Ephesian elders, from among yourselves, men are going to arise, and Stuart's touched on this, speaking perverse things and drawing away disciples after them. So he's warning that something could happen there in the assembly in Ephesus, whereby prominent individuals Probably people with quite charismatic personality and and a big ability to teach could gather a following to themselves within the assembly, adherence to their particular point of view, and draw these individuals away after them. Says you'd be very careful about that. That's not the sort of man that you should obey. That's a man who's displaying unbiblical character. That's a man who's making unbiblical decisions. And the command to obey is not an absolute command. It cannot be. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says this. Paul says this. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. He's not to be accepted. He's not to be followed. That's in relation to his teaching and his preaching. So that insofar as an elder is displaying the character that we've mentioned and functioning in a biblical manner, he is to be, and they are to be, obeyed. This is real leadership. This is real authority. This is not what Peter calls lording it over the flock. You see, the reason for that is simple, that the authority of an elder is derived. It's not inherent. You don't get to the stage where you're recognised as an elder and then suddenly you become authoritative. Your word is law. That is not leadership. It's not biblical leadership. You see, your authority is not inherent, it's derived. Your authority, your leadership, your direction, your care of the assembly is done as a servant of Christ. As an under-shepherd, responsible to the chief shepherd. Therefore, you and all the other elders in the assembly are under the authority of Christ. And your authority is derived from Christ. It's not inherent in you as an individual. And when you stray away from Christ, when you stray away from the instruction of Scripture, when you stray away from the authority of Scripture, and when you stray away from the doctrines of Scripture, and your character becomes unscriptural, then that derived authority is no longer there. Call yourself what you want. However, that is a qualifier, but it does not not diminish the need for us to obey. 
and to submit. And submission and obedience go hand in hand. You see, full obedience requires full submission and the submission of the heart to yield to the authority and direction of another as they call you to follow in the way of Christ. So he says here in Hebrews, obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. I don't know what it's like. I can't speak of any other assembly other than their own. But you know, um, I'm sure it happened before I ever knew. But I don't know if the, the saints would be aware of. They probably are, actually. That as elders, we gather uh, weekly before the breaking of bread to pray. So we come together at half nine. Well, we try to come together at half nine. Time keeping issue, but anyway. And we pray. And we discuss what's happened in the week that's gone by. Why, why, why would we do that? You see, the scripture says we watch for your souls. We keep an eye on how you are doing. That is what an elder must do. And for those who are watching for your souls, it can be something that is joyful or sad. Difficult. And sadly, very often these prayer meetings, as I'm sure it's the same all over the world, sometimes, in fact often, we're praying and the prayers are not overtly joyful. They're supplicatory prayers. <coughs> They're the needs of individuals. Watching for their souls. And for the elders that watch for your souls, listen, you need to obey them. You need to submit yourself to them as they watch for your souls. That in that coming day they may give an account for their service and do it with joy and not with grief. Let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labour is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. <coughs> A couple of things here. Number one, we need to support our elders, and that may mean financially. <coughs> the apostle makes it absolutely clear. The labourer is worthy of his hire, worthy of his wages. And if it is the case that the elder or elders who are labouring amongst the saints are disadvantaged financially as a consequence, then there is a responsibility upon the local church to meet that need for those who labour in that way amongst them. 
Now that is perhaps something in our society which may not be too uh, pertinent. It may be, it may not be. But you know, when you begin to travel, you discover this, this is a very pertinent thing. If you live in a society where you are serving amongst believers who live off the day's wage, so they go to work and they get paid that day for the work that they do, and then the next day their family is fed from the money that they earned the previous day. You say, well, does that still happen in the world today? Yes, it does, in many places. That's the way that many believers actually live. If that is the case, then you understand this, that if an elder is serving amongst the saints in the ways that we've been discussing, and that means that he can't get to his, he can't be earning any money. Then the assembly then obviously would have a responsibility to meet his financial need. And by so doing, value the work that the man is doing for the Lord. For that man is worthy of his hire. There's a, a brother wrote to some here that, that uh, translates for me when I go into Indonesia. And um, when, he's not, when he's with me translating and he travels with me quite a lot, then he is not working. He has a little shop. And when he's with me, he's not in his shop. And the consequence of that is that he is, he would never say to me, but I know he's losing money. You see, people who are serving the Lord without financial support round about them in so many places in the world, serving as elders, serving as evangelists, serving in whatever capacity, then they can suffer serious financial loss. And you may say, well, you know, the Lord will deal with that. I often say that the Lord deals with a lot of things, but he does so through the saints' pockets. Sometimes when we get short arms and deep pockets, then the need is not there. So here is an instruction for us as assemblies. It may not be financial need in our circumstances. It may be, but it may not be. But there may be other needs, there may be other ways that he is disadvantaged in that sense and in need as a consequence. And the value should be placed upon his service that the assembly should be aware of meeting that man's need in order that he might continue to serve. For the scripture says, There shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. The labourer is worthy of his reward. You say, well, someone else will meet his need. That's not the principle. You see the ox is fed from the fruit of his labour. And if a man is serving amongst you and disadvantaged by so doing, then it is the people among whom he serves should meet his need. The ox is not muzzled as it treads out the corn to support them. Now here's another thing that comes from these verses that might be a little strange. We also require as assemblies to discipline them. When an elder or leader is guilty and of sin, of serious doctrinal error, then that individual requires to be held to account like any individual. Being an elder does not make them immune from that. 
And so God's people, God's assembly, would have to enact the disciplined passages of the Bible. And if a person is an elder, it's not like, you know, he gets a presidential pardon and a free pass. So it's important, however, to remember that in that context it says this, against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. And so you can't just be thrown accusations, unsubstantiated accusations against someone in leadership just because you don't like the way they're leading. This has to be done in a biblical fashion. There requires to be evidence. There requires to be two or three witnesses if this is to be substantiated. And if it, I think, verse 20 is in the same context, and if it is held to be true, then them that sin, I think that is the elder, them that sin, rebuke before all, so that the example might be set that others also may fear. And so if an elder sins and is subject to discipline, then that discipline has to be effected and it has to be Evident, and it has to serve as an example for us all. The elders are not immune from discipline. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, if you just turn to that, please. We're getting there, we're nearly there. It says this. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their manner of life, the end of their conversation. So remember them, whose faith follow. Remember them, and we've spoken about having the rule and speaking the word of God to us. Remember them. Call them to mind, recollect them, be mindful of them. It's a present imperative, meaning it's a command that we should constantly fulfil, that we are called to keep our leaders in mind. And one of the best ways of doing that is prayer, and I'll come to that as I finish. Stuart was speaking about the... What a powerful point it was. The desire of Satan to entrap us. You see, if Satan can cause your elders to fall, it will have a devastating effect upon the whole church. We know that to be true. It's happened before. And as such, I would judge that Satan, with all his wisdom, and we were thinking about that, and with all his schemes and with all his historical experience of doing that amongst God's people, thousands of years of experience, your elders metaphorically are walking about with a target on their back. Bring them down. Not just bring down someone and the impact will be localised. Bring down someone and the impact will be throughout the whole local church devastated prayer is required I'm going to come to that just in a second but one last point and it's this whose faith follow you know it's the idea of mimicking imitating, I know that none of you imitate speakers or elders or anything like that I know that 
and uh, I know that I'm never imitated or mimicked at all, um, I'm sure. But this is to mimic in the better sense, uh, to follow their faith. And it is the idea of having role models. People that you look up to. Is that such a bad idea? Is that such an, an old-fashioned thing? To have someone that you admire, someone that you look to, someone that you would like to be like, in terms of character. I'm sure as I'm speaking, there are people that come into your mind, male and female, brothers and sisters in your local church, and you would like to be like them, and you would like to be like their memory, as you remember them having served before. That's a good thing. To follow their faith, to follow their walk of life, to consider the end of their manner of life. What did that manner of life produce in them? Spirituality, holiness, integrity. Would you like to have that in your life? To be wise, not to be extreme, but to be moderate. Not to be blown off course and get involved in controversies and all this kind of business for all their own reasons, but just to be steady for the Lord and to walk a steady path and to be fruitful in doing so. It's a good thing to have role models. I'm going to finish uh, my little series with some practical advice to take away for us all. Seven points. Now don't panic. Don't panic. I always panic myself when someone says I've got 14 points and automatically I have the time divided. It's like, uh, you know, like, I'm not going to talk about running races, but it's, it's almost having you, you know, your split times. And then when he's over his split time, you begin to work out. It's going to, so we're not going to do that. But what I'm going to do is uh, suggest very briefly seven specific things for which you could pray for your elders. Seven. <coughs> And seven specific things that if you are an elder, that you can pray for yourself and for your fellow elders. I found these very challenging. Number one, remembering this, and I'll give this quote from an elder. He said this, we are just men from different walks of life, different generations, different stages of maturity in our faith. We're human. We're prone to sin, imperfection. We don't always get it right. We sometimes aren't clear. Sometimes our communication is terrible. We do make mistakes. So therefore, pray for us. Pray for us. Number one, wisdom. And God appointed Solomon to lead Israel after his father David's death. Solomon cried out to the Lord in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9 down to verse 12. And he asked the Lord to give him, the Lord's servant, a discerning heart to govern his people. Now that's a different context, I understand that. But Solomon understood this, that if he was going to lead God's people, he would need wisdom. And he felt the lack of wisdom. It is no small thing 
to be a shepherd over the household of God, to discern the needs of the people, to teach appropriately and wisely, to guide the saints, to settle disputes amongst that church family, to oversee the proper stewardship of people's resources which have been given sacrificially into your care, to make plans and all the rest of it and to identify need and draw alongside it. And often, elders feel, as Solomon did, underqualified to fulfil this role. And mind you, that's not a bad thing for you. You'd hardly want someone who's pompous and thinks that he's completely qualified. But that feeling of being underqualified can be overwhelming and debilitating and can cause you to be fearful and can cause you to be full of doubt about your decision-making. Because you feel your own lack of wisdom. So pray. Would you not pray? Number one. That God would grant the elders of your local church wisdom. To fulfill their function. For after all. It would be greatly to your benefit if they possessed it. Greatly to your benefit. Number two. Vision. Now don't be put off by that word. Some people don't like that word. Vision. You know, the truth of the matter is that good shepherds know where they're going to take their flock. They're not wandering about all over the place on the off chance they'll come across some decent pasture. A shepherd would be on the lookout for danger. A shepherd is seeking out the best pastures. He's a plan in place Pray that your elders may be given by God vision. And that their vision for the future and progress of the local church will be completely in line with God's word. That as they hear the voice of the great shepherd from scripture, that that may inform the direction in which they would lead the local church. Three, holiness. Holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, we're told that without holiness, then nobody sees the Lord. Nobody sees the Lord. And if holiness is a prerequisite for seeing God, then your elders, like the rest of us, we desperately need to have holy lives. So that we might live well-disciplined, exemplary lives. So that we might be blameless. So that we might not be susceptible to satanic assault. So that we may be able to stand our ground and not yield. And so that the local church will also desire that holiness. Of all the things, I think, that would be of great benefit to our local church back home, is holiness. Holiness. Holiness to the Lord. It becomes the people of God. It is the 
It is the seed plot, it is the context in which God's blessings flow. Fourthly, stamina. Stamina. In 1 Corinthians 15, this applies to everyone, but it does apply to elders. Uh, chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. You know, the truth of the matter is that your elders are elders because they manage their own households well. That was one of the characteristics. So they, they pay attention to domestic things. They're not negligent in that sphere of their life. And the truth of the matter is that the, the characteristics of the elder is spoken about in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3 mean this. That in their place of work they are often, not always, but often people who are given responsibility. So you have people who take responsibility domestically and you have people who are given responsibility in the workplace very often. They are people who usually are put in roles in the workplace that are demanding. And do you know this? Leadership takes a toll. It's exhausting for some people. Mentally and spiritually and physically. It's exhausting. So that when you come home, and I'm being a little bit facetious, but when you come home and you know, you've got Chinese ordered and you, you know, you're looking forward, Max of Day's coming on, whatever, and you know, you're picking off um, your shoes and you're not giving the saints a thought. Not a thought. Why would you do that? Because you're exhausted. You're a hard day at work. And you've got domestic duties to attend to. That's right. Absolutely correct. Remember this, that there are some men in your local church who have got additional responsibilities that are going to take them out again into the night. And they're going to take them to visit people and they're going to take them to pray for people and, and so on. And that is right and it's proper, but just remember that, that, is, that is, that's the case. And they need stamina. Meetings. Mind you, we could do with less meetings, but meetings, meetings, meetings. Um, emails, people who demand your time, people who don't realise that there's other people with needs and think that they're the only one with needs and so are very, very demanding. Pray for the health, pray for the endurance, pray for the vigour, pray for your elders that they might have the energy to fulfil their own. Knowledge. You see, an elder, he's got to know the word of God because he's going to be asked questions and he's going to have to deal with issues that are extremely complex. My dad used to speak about, you know, people who are like a bowl of spaghetti. You just grab one end and you just keep going. There's no end to the thing. And, you know, it's like, it's like the Christmas tree lights and you, you're given this burner. I'm never, because I never put a Christmas tree up. That's domestic. And uh, you get this whole bunch of lights and you start to unpick them. It's an absolute nightmare. How did it get like that? How did it get like that? I mean, surely someone did just roll out in the bundle and chuck it in the cupboard. Well, probably I did. And then it has to be completely unwrapped. And people are like that. People are complex. Relationships are complex. 
Very rarely do you come across things that are just black and white, that are easy, that are solvable, you know, and that kind of, you know, you say sorry to him and you accept the apology, right, let's all go home and put the kettle on. It doesn't happen like that, because life is not like that. And if you want, I remember a situation and there was an issue and uh, this is the way I spoke to the fellow elders. I said, you know, there's a big stone, one of these big moss stones. There's all sorts of creepy crawlies underneath. I said, well, we just leave the stone and walk away. Or do you lift the stone? And you have to deal with what's underneath it. You see, sometimes you're faced with that as elders. Do you lift the stone? Or do you just leave it and step over it? You see, you need knowledge because things are so difficult and complicated. Listen to the prayer that Paul gave to the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 9 through to 12. And think about your elders in this respect. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Giving <coughs> thanks unto the Father which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a fantastic prayer for all of us. But in my small, narrow application in this session of ministry, what a prayer for your elders. <coughs> Lastly, unity. Unity amongst the elders. <coughs> Listen, you know how easy it is for Christians to disagree. Disagreeing is in and of itself not a bad thing. A robust conversation is often a very good thing. The problem comes when it breaks the unity of elders. You see, elders must maintain unity to be effective shepherds. Not uniformity, but unity. We're not all the same, thankfully. We don't all think exactly the same thing. It's a good thing. But it's so important that your elders are united. And that they speak with one voice. So that you don't go to one elder and you get one answer and you go to another and you get the opposite answer. And as elders, there are occasions where you've come to an agreement in a room and it's not your view, but you step out as an elder and it is the view of the elders, having arrived at and implemented. And that's that. So important. Unity. And so when you come to the end of this, listen to what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. You see, it is so important that your elders love each other. Pray that they might love each other. Pray that they might be united in their shepherd care of the assembly. Pray that they 
irritations and disagreements and the, you know, the relationship things that go on between people and go on between elders may not be destructive and may not actually affect the assembly. But endeavouring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, if your elders are not united, however, is the assembly going to be united? And if elders cannot come and in humility accept that perhaps other elders have made a decision and you're maybe not in agreement with it, but you know, as an elder of the assembly, then you will you will stand. You will stand. And then you go to the assembly and you're asking the assembly to do the very same thing. Because they will not all be in agreement with everything. But you're asking for unity. You're asking for forbearance. You're asking for love. You're asking for people to, to, to work with each other. Not in hatred, but in love. So pray for your elders, would you? Would you pray that they have wisdom? Would you pray that they have vision? Would you pray that they have holiness and stamina and knowledge and unity? Why? That the Lord might be exalted and glorified in our local churches. And that we may be in an environment where we can grow spiritually and love each other and serve the Lord in the way that the Bible says. It sounds so simple, but we all know it can be quite difficult. I trust that God would give help in these things as we just leave it with him in the name of the Lord. Thank <laughs> you.